Good morning. I feel like the Brady Bunch up here. <laughs> I feel uncomfortable up here. I know you do. He hates costumes. It's a uniform though, right, Grant? Yeah. I think he looks dang cute. Well, hello. <laughs> uh, welcome this morning. My name is Linda, and I'm on staff here. And I'm Peter, and I'm married to Linda. So, by extension, he's on staff here. I don't know. Is that transitive? <laughs> that math like thing? That. I don't know. Anyways, well, good morning and welcome. Now, just so you know, we're, we don't always dress like this. If you're a guest with us this morning, and you're wondering, wow, what's happening? Don't worry, for the next 10 weeks, you have the chance to dress like this too. Yes. Our series is called Summer of Love. Yes. And it's going to be a fantastic series um, based in Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. We're getting back to basics. And anyways, feel free to wear your craziest 60s outfits over the next 10 weeks. Do, do any of you have 60s outfits? <laughs> That's all you have? <laughs> all right. I've got uh, one word, Amazon. <laughs> um, we, uh, we are excited to be here today. We're excited to just be together to worship. And uh, we um, have a mission here at New Song. Our mission is that we wish to be transformed by the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus, love people, and do good, right? Amen. And uh, so everything that we do, including this kind of silliness, has to do with that mission statement. Yeah. And uh, love is built right into, uh, into our mission statement. We want to love people. And I think that we're going to, over the, next, uh, the course of the next 10, 11 weeks, we're going to hear a little bit about that and um, understand what Scripture teaches us about love. So I'm looking forward to that. If you happen to be uh, a guest with us today, we're really excited that you're here. Um, and we love you too. And so we uh, would uh, ask that if you have a chance to fill out the little connect card that's in the seat pocket in front of you, um, that'll give us a chance to just kind of get to know you a little bit better. And uh, that's, that's really what we're interested in, uh, in accomplishing today. So if you, uh, if you think of it, fill one of those out. That's right. Um, now, this Wednesday, we are starting small groups again. Yay. Yeah, they're very, very fun. So we are going to gather uh, starting this Wednesday, 6.30 to 8 p.m. Um, we're going to, part of that getting together is kind of recapping what you heard today, chatting about it, at, talking, asking questions, things like that. It's going to be great, and it's just a really fun time. Um, that will go on through the length of the series, correct? Yep. All right. Um, so if you would like to sign up for this, there is a clipboard right outside the doors that you can sign up uh, this morning on your way out. So highly encourage you to do that. It's also a great way to meet people and connect with people. There are so many times when there's people that have been here forever, and they go, okay, how are you new? You, I don't know you. So this is a great chance for you to meet people. And if you have a middle schooler or high schooler, they meet during the same time. So drop them off, come over, be a part of the small group, then go back and pick them up. You want to pick them up. Please pick them up. 
All right, um, men, uh, here at New Song, um, we have uh, a fairly regular opportunity to get together and do some male bonding. Um, we do that at the Glendora Marketplace, which is just down the road here. Um, it's really kind of a cool atmosphere for, for doing that. We're um, in a uh, place where there's food and uh, drink and just good things to, to enjoy together. So if you uh, are interested in that, um, the next one that we will be doing is when? I don't see, there it is, all right, July 23rd, so that's next Sunday at 5 p.m. So uh, please uh, feel free to come out and join us for that. We'll remind you again next Sunday, but uh, it's very casual, and uh, every time I go to one of those, I meet someone new and get to know something new about someone, even sometimes learn something new about somebody I've known for a long time, so that's all, it's always kind of interesting to see how that works. Yeah. Um, now, you probably got an email over the weekend, a very exciting email, very exciting. You're wooing already, and I didn't even say anything. That's how exciting it is. We have hired our new student ministries pastor. We are super excited. His name is Stephen Menzies. There they are. Look how cute. Could we have hired a cuter couple to lead our youth group? I think not. Anywho, uh, Stephen is our students ministries pastor and Jess is his fiance. Yes. So um, we are really excited. And, you know, the way that we always like to, um, you know, initiate our new staff members is throw them into a beach trip with middle schoolers and high schoolers. <laughs> so that's what he did on his first day. He went to the beach and uh, there's, there's some pictures right there that, that shows you he was there. Yep. Volleyball. What else we got? I don't know. <laughs> Scrapbooking here. Uh, and then Friday he came. Oh, there you Stealing go. Stealing the show, Grant. <laughs> there you go. Oh, nice. that's fun. I'm just going to let you all take this in for a minute. <laughs> Good How stuff. many did we have, Stephen? 17? Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. There they all are eating ice cream. <laughs> fun. All right. Well, then on um, Friday, we uh, do something called Fridays at the Trites once a month, and it's a pool party. And again, Stephen was right in there. So uh, anyways, say hi to him. Introduce yourself to him. But next Sunday, we are going to do the official Hello. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, we'll look forward to doing that with you next Sunday. But, Stephen, just raise your hands so people see who you are and where you are. All right. All right. And uh, we uh, want to also just acknowledge here at New Song that we are a community of prayer. And so we want you to... Uh, know that we have, we have people that are committed to praying on a regular basis. I'm on a list that receives text messages and emails about prayer requests. So every time I see one of those, it's a great reminder to me to lift 
lift up some people at New Song that need prayer. And if you need prayer, um, there's a couple of ways that you can let us know that. You can, there's a place you can put that in on the website, but there's also a card in front of you that says pray on it. And so if you have a prayer request that you'd like to just uh, share with us, that's a great way to do that. You can do it anonymously. You can do it uh, with your name either way, but we would uh, just really appreciate the opportunity to lift you up in prayer. That is, uh, that is an important part of uh, what we do here uh, as a community at New Song. Um, also in the seat pocket in front of you is an envelope that says give on it. Um, you know, we, um, giving is not uh, obligatory. It's not obligatory here at New Song, and it's not obligatory as Christians in the Christian faith, but it is something that is a demonstration of, of our love for God. It's a form of worship, and uh, so we would just encourage you to consider how you might be being led by God to participate financially in his kingdom. And again, that kind of ties right back into our mission statement. We're uh, here at New Song, we are living that mission statement out and trying to uh, connect with our community and, and show people that we love them and follow Jesus in that process. So um, giving is, is something that is a way that you can connect with that. And we just, uh, I would encourage you to consider how you might do that today. So uh, would you just join me in prayer as we um, prepare to invite uh, Grant up here? Heavenly Father, um, God, we are thankful for uh, the ways that you uh, show yourself to us here in this community in San Dimas. God, uh, as we um, look around us and see just the the. Um, excitement in, in uh, the youth group as they're spending time at the beach and um, God, the thankfulness that, that we feel for our, our new staff member. Um, God, there's just so many things, so many different ways that we um, see you working. And Father, I pray that as um, uh, we move into this new series, God, that you would really um, give Grant and our teaching team wisdom uh, in uh, teaching us from your word um, as, we, as we look at this Summer of Love series. Father, I pray that um, you would use the finances that come in uh, to, through giving here at New Song. Uh, help us to be wise in using those finances to uh, further uh, revealing your kingdom here around us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Grant, it is all yours. <laughs> hey, thanks, Linda and Peter. You look great, Peter, man. Thank you. You know, I was wondering, I think if we had a black light, this thing would glow. I'm right. pretty sure. We should go clubbing tonight. All right. <laughs> Test the theory. Thanks for being a good sport, Peter. Now you can go put your other drab, boring shirt back on again. No, but really, I just think it's, you know... Something through the pandemic that my wife and I said a lot, we've got to choose joy as often as possible, you know, and I, and I, as you know, for the past five years, I've rarely ever worn anything but black, and part of it's a Johnny Cash song, The Man in Black, you know that song? He gives examples, people are why you wear black all the time, Johnny? He's like, well, because of, you know, this, all the, all the terrible things in the world, and he talks about, and he even talks about those who've never heard or read the words that Jesus said. Um, and so that I'll, I, you know, there's always got to be a man in black until that stuff changes, right? And I thought that was really wonderful. So I kind of got a little bit attached to that, you know. But I decided that you know I want to choose joy, and so I'll still wear black probably most of the time. 
but you know, it means this is much more effective. Pardon? There is joy, there's a joy in black too, you know? There's a joy in black, but yeah, you know, it's exciting. So yeah, join us in our craziness, and you will not, I don't think you'll regret it. Um, just don't wear outside of these walls, because you might get, you know, questioned by the authorities or something, I don't know. Um, but this morning, so we are in the summer of love, um, but I want to start with a question. And the question is, what is the most important characteristic of God? Um, so, so we lived in Orcas Island, as you're probably tired of hearing about, but you know, it was 10 years of my life, and so you know, we all have times in our life where a lot of stuff happened, and you did a lot of growing up, or, or just growing, whether spiritually, or uh, you know, wrinkly-wise, and all that stuff, or white hair. Uh, I did a lot of that kind of growing there. Um, and this was a favorite question of a woman whose name was Rosa Montgomery. I got a picture of her here with Kira when Kira was a little lass. Uh, and Rosa was a Bible teacher at uh, Orcas Island Community Church uh, and a really amazing kind of evangelist. She just kind of gently connect with people and in a very peaceful, humble way. Uh, a very trusted mentor occasionally. I know all the pastors would take a trip up to Montgomery Lane. They were living there early on, so they got to name their own street, you know, the Montgomerys. Go up there and just say, hey, Rosa, can we chat? And just kind of get some advice uh, uh, and an amazing, wonderful saint who just also so happened to be Billy Graham's sister-in-law, uh, Ruth Graham Bell's uh, sister. Uh, but you would never know it from the, her completely humble way of living. But she would always ask this question, and she asked it me several times, and I always forget what the right answer was. Some pressure, it's like Billy Graham's sister, uh, sister-in-law is asking me this question. But I'm going to ask it today to start with, what is the most important characteristic of God? Do you have any ideas? What is the most important characteristic of God? Grace, love, mercy, thankfulness. What's that? Faith. Okay. Okay, humility, being humble. Okay, so we're talking about God, and so here's the answer. The correct answer, according to Billy Graham's sister-in-law, is righteousness. The most important characteristic of God is righteousness. Like this sense of perfectly righteous in all, he's all about righteousness. Um, and Psalm 145, 17 suggests that. It says, the Lord is righteous in everything he does. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. And I would say everything he is, has been, and ever shall be. But it feels like a trick question, doesn't it? Because I just said we're doing the summer of love, and then I'm asking you what's the most important characteristic of God. And it's like, uh, love? Wrong. <laughs> but the, the, but the thing is, though, because God is righteous, God is love. Because God is righteous... He is love, and he loves. You know, it is a matter of debate, you know, about what his most important characteristic is, but I, I, I do think righteousness is a, a great answer. Uh, but I, I believe that it's actually in the love of God is the place where God connects with us. It's in his love, his characteristic that he is love, and one who loves, that he reaches out to us, that he finds us, that he brings us, that he keeps us, is by his love. That's the place where God connects with us. For example, John 3.16, one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, except for thou shalt not judge, is apparently overtaken it. Um, reasons for that, probably. Uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him won't perish but will have eternal life. God so loved the world that, man, this whole story we've talked about, the, the 
God incarnate in flesh stepped into our world to save us. Not that we were moving towards him, but that he was moving towards us and still is today. And then not only that, but now everything we understand about what it means to love and, and, and the ability and the power to love comes from the fact that God is love. We love, John writes, because he first loved us. Before everything, God loved us. During everything, God loves us. And for all time, God loves us. So for life and for death, this is the place where we can we connect with God and in his love. Psalm 23, verse six, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, or live in the house of the Lord forever. For life and for death, God's love. For purpose in life that is, that is ours because of this love, it's this action that it, it empowers us, it energizes, fuels us, motivates us to live our lives because of this context that we have been loved. Paul writes in his letter to the church in Corinth, Christ's love compels us We're not doing this for fun. We're not doing this because it's easy. We're doing it because we are compelled by the love that we have discovered in God and we want to share that with you. It compels us. It is a force that drives us out into dangerous places, uncomfortable places to share ourselves as God has shared himself with us. The greatest gift that we can have is to know that the creator of all that exists loves us with all that entails. In fact, when it comes to how human beings receive the gospel, I think the truth is not only that, the truth that God is love, but not only that, but that he loves us is probably the most welcome aspect of God that we could conceive of. More than he is righteous, that doesn't really do much for me except condemn me probably. That God is all powerful, okay, that God is all knowing, that God is the judge of all, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all these attributes, but it's in his love. That's the welcome news that we can receive. So we're embarking on an 11-week exploration of God's love and hippie clothes. And it's the 60s theme. You know, we're talking about, the reason we came up with this is because at uh, San Dimas Retirement Center, both in the regular part and then also in the memory care, every single week for, I don't know how long now, Farid, been there like a year and a half, maybe more, we sing God, uh, Jesus Loves Me, this I know. And it was the first time I thought, hey, this is a simple song most people will know, but it's become our kind of anthem. We close every time we're together with that song. And I have seen the connection of all of us with these simple words. And that's how it came about. But then I thought, hey, Summer Love, that's kind of a cool theme, the hippie thing. Um, you know, but then thinking about that, you know, with the, with the release on parole of Leslie Van Houten, who was part of the Manson murders, you know, it reminds us again that that summer love wasn't all that successful, you know, despite the fact that it gave us some tremendous fashions, and despite the fact that it was fairly genuine and well-intended, that the people, the young people were tired of the squares, they thought they could perceive, conceive of a better world where we would truly love one another, the, the impulse comes from God. We see what is broken and we say, we're gonna have to change this. All we're saying is give peace a chance. We got to get back to the garden. All you need is love. But unfortunately, it went pretty dark. But God's love is not like that. It's nothing like that. God's love is faithful. 
is unconditional, it is undeniable, it is unchanged and unchanging, and it is transformative. So we want to bathe in the love of God this summer, like a cold cloth on a fevered brow, like a chilled glass of water on a blistering hot day, like diving into a cool pool of water after a 15-mile hike in Southern California. We want to bathe in the love of God. So where do we start? Well, as the song says, we're, we're going to probably start with the Bible. There is a very famous theologian whose name is Karl Barth. He was a German theologian, and he was part of a very kind of liberal kind of movement that questioned a lot about the Bible. And he had this kind of epiphany. He actually met another pastor who started having him change his way of thinking about Scripture and about God, and he was very famous. Um, he's got this set of, it's called Church Dogmatics. I have it in my office, and I barely cracked it open because it's extremely challenging. It's a massive set of stuff. He wrote a lot of things, um, but... Uh, one time, there's a story that he, in 1962, he was on a lecture tour, tour, and he was in Chicago at the University of Chicago in this big Gothic cathedral, and apparently during the Q&A, a student asked Karl Barth if he could summarize his whole life's work in a sentence, and Barth allegedly said something like this, yes, I can, in the words of a song I learned at my mother's knee, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. This giant of a man, this intellectual, scholar, theological, profound thinker, and this is his answer. And apparently, I looked into it, and actually, it did actually happen. It's not just a story. So how does the Bible, that's where we're starting with the Bible, how does the Bible tell us that God loves us? Well, the first thing is, it testifies to this great act of love, that God's love was not passive. God's love was not just a nice feeling. God's love was fiercely active in sending his son. In fact, you know, once again, we said, you know, it's not cosmic child abuse. God himself in the person, it's a mystery, but God himself in the person, the son, came among us, lived our lives, suffered our sufferings, and offered up his life in our place that we might have life. That's the first thing. But the second thing is this, that God's love is shown in scripture because he loved us and loves us enough to communicate his revelation to us through the written word. Someone once was sharing this with me, a much older retired pastor, and he was saying, Grant, think about it. You could ask someone, you know, how do you know the things you know? And the, the concept of revelation is the fact that we have this written and transmitted and recorded story and all, all that it is to, because God loves us enough to give us a concrete word through generations. You know, even the fact that there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and what was the other one again? Yeah, this is like, you know. Yeah, you know, there's four Gospels. That's like, why, need, why do we need four Gospels? And we need four Gospels because they all come out from a slightly different perspective. And even then, one of the Gospel writers says, even if all the books in the world, if we wrote all the stuff down Jesus did, there'd be not enough books in the world to fill all of the richness of his life and death and resurrection but there's four. It's a testimony to love that he gives us revelation, which is proclaiming, showing, telling, sharing. This is, this is written on the billboards of creation. And this is a concrete way that he tells us. So the Bible is a book. And the name Bible actually means book. And the Bible we have today, just for some facts, is for Protestant worshipers, there's 39 books in the Old Testament, which is 
the same as the, the Hebrew people, even though they're divided differently. There's 39 books. For the Roman Catholic and Orthodox Church, there are 46 Old Testament books, which include what are called apocryphal books, and there, some of those are very useful. There's a lot of history in there, but the Protestant church doesn't typically recognize those because they're not very much quoted in the New Testament, and they somewhat lack unity with the rest of the Bible. They are, there's some stuff in there that doesn't really jive with the rest, but all, all of these denominations and traditions agree that there are 27 books in the New Testament. So, you know, we don't have time this morning to prove that the Bible is God's word. So if you're thinking we're going to do that, we don't. Uh, but there are many, many, many books. Some are very intellectually honest and some are definitely not. If you're interested in more about the formation and the reception of the Bible and how it came to be the Bible that we have today, I'm happy to recommend resources to you. But there are some things about the Bible that make it unique and that cause me, my, at least myself, to to be kind of in awe, and the reason why I have come to put my belief in this is somehow it's going to be transformative for me. It was 1,500 to 1,600 years in the making with an estimation of about 40 different authors throughout all of that time. Editors, it was edited, it was people collecting writings together and sharing them for various reasons to encourage or challenge God's people. It contains so many genres of writing. It's got history, prophecy, poetry, family records and genealogy, letters, sermons, stories, collections of wise sayings. But the overarching story of all of this variety is about the story of God's redemption, the story of God's love in action to redeem to himself all of his creation through Christ. There is an incredible unity of message from start to finish. And there's not only that, but there's this persistence of transmission. It has been transmitted through time. So we have two testaments. We have the Old Testament. The Old Testament, really, if you think about it, is the testimony of people who were either encountered or were encountered by something otherworldly, something supernatural, that they came to know as creator, Lord, savior, authority, and protector. And the New Testament is the testimony of a once dead man who came back to life and transformed the world and the people who witnessed his life, death, and all that followed after his resurrection. Second Peter, first 16, Peter in his letter, Peter, I witness to these events. Peter the rock, who denied Jesus. <laughs> you know, a human being like us, he wrote clearly to his friends, he said, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we had been eyewitnesses to his majesty. Eyewitnesses. Some people say, you know, the amount of copies and things and, and documents we have of this testimony of these people is, is, is ridiculously huge. And the next best one is something like Aristotle's stuff, and there's like 46 copies, but we have no doubt in believing some of these other historical facts and figures. But that's not really the time for this this morning. You know, one thing I want to say, though, is throughout the history of the Bible, there'd be many different ideas about how it came to be and how to understand it and engage with it. And that's a, that's a good thing. It did not fall complete out of the sky, it didn't just go, oh, look, what's this? Oh, Bible it is a rich history, a messy history, a complicated history. Um, and we have a, a, a belief here at New Song Church, as it says on that wall, that we want to be in essentials unity, 
So we've got to figure out what that is. By the way, in the new year, we're going to take a stab at all of this stuff and talk about what makes us distinctive, perhaps. In fact, that we're not a denominational church. We have a, a, a very a large sense of, of the Christian tradition, but we do believe in the essentials. We'll figure out those. The second thing is non-essentials, liberty, and all things love. Hey, there's that word again. Ooh, what, that wall and that wall. That's pretty good. That, oh, that one too. It's because someone spray paint love on that sign. It's missing something. <laughs> and I didn't even think about that till now. Wow. Maybe it's important, this love thing. Um, so if what it's called is called the great tradition. The great tradition. It's, it's this thing that's, that's been Christian throughout the history of Christianity. But one of the greatest sources of disagreement of people who have tried to figure out this whole thing is the question of whether the Bible is a divine document or whether the Bible is a human document. And there's been this balance between it's, you know, it's a human document, it's just a collection of people who were felt inspired, but it's not inspired, or it is a supernatural document. As people actually say about the Quran, Many, many Muslims will say, unless you read it in Arabic, you cannot understand it. It cannot be translated. It is, in some ways, a magical book. And there's been this disagreement. And I think in terms of uh, essentials, if we want to think about Scripture, um, I think we have to understand something. And, and, and it kind of bears, it's in relation to who Jesus was, you know, that's also been a debate. Was Jesus this kind of, was he more God or was he more human? And... and our orthodoxy tells us that Jesus was both 100% human with everything that means and also 100% God with everything that means. Therefore, he is love. But also it tells us that in, in, in being 100% human, he emptied himself of all of the rights and the privileges of, of the power of God and he received in moments, the power of God to carry out his work and all that kind of thing, but he remained God in human flesh. And I think that goes really well for scripture. Scripture is both 100% human. People wrote this stuff, and it keeps their writing personality. I bet you, some of you can find a note in the house so you know which member of your family wrote it. Bad spelling, bad grammar, or just the handwriting. People have explored the writing and they go, wow, Paul writes with a particular distinctive sense that he is Paul. Peter does the same, James does the same. And the Old Testament has many signifiers that there have been many different people who have written these things and they're fully human. Not only that, but it keeps its cultural context. They don't write about the internet. They don't write about dry shampoo. That's a Melody thing, she's not here. She would have loved that one. Um, but not only that, in some way it is also fully God's domain. He inhabits this in a particular way. Again, Paul wrote to his friend Timothy, from infancy you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. There's a purpose all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That concept, God-breathed. The second one, 
Peter writes to his friends, first of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by human will. But men and women moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And that leans a bit more maybe to the divine side, but men and women, they, they, many of them had no idea what God was doing with these things. Just as in human life, I walk out the door and I see someone, I say hi, and I buy this and I do that. And God is using all of that for his purposes. So this is the word of God. So a question today is, we ask, what is scripture? What does it mean if I'm reading the Bible as scripture rather than simply a human document? Because you can look at the Bible for history and literature and all these different things, or the study of languages or cultures. What does it mean to approach this Bible, this word as scripture, that we might discover that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. There's a really good book uh, by a guy called Joel Green, who's a professor of New Testament, and I just love the simplicity. It's very complex, but it's so simple. And this is something is in the introduction for it. It says, the Bible is our book. These scriptures are our scripture. We are not reading someone else's mail. Scripture does not present us with texts to be mastered, but with a word, God's word, intent on mastering us, on shaping our lives. So I think this is kind of how it works, is that, There's a fully human work of the people in writing down in their time and place these words, these prayers, these histories, these genealogies, these stories. And 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 God is inspiring. So then, because it is inspired by God and because he is present in all of that, using it for his sovereign purposes, when it comes to us meeting the word, his inspiration will teach us and show us, transform us as he wishes to do so through this word. I love that. It makes me love the Bible all the more. It makes me love God all the more. That it's not some thing I've got to attain, some supernatural distance from the earth, but it's entirely bound up in the human experience. But yet God is present in the midst of it. Therefore, when I come to the Bible, I come as myself, as a broken human being, just as the people who wrote it were. And God somehow, and this is a mystery, and once again, let's stop trying to explain every part of Christianity, because if you did do that and try to explain every part of God, he would no longer be God. And this would no longer be God's word. We need some more mystery in this world. There's too much certainty all over the place, and it's killing us. Choose joy. How about choose curiosity and doubt also? There's a really good book. Um, it's called The Mosaic of Christian Belief. And it's basically a book I go to a lot because it's doing this. It's saying like, okay, so there's all these different opinions. But what do Christians typically have? What do they believe through all time? Can we agree on this? And this is our, we're a community church. We, we want to dig into that. And, and you can take a picture of this quote because it's quite long. Uh, if you want to kind of think about it later, um, get your phones out. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but, but I really love this. So here's what he says. Apart from the Holy Spirit, the Bible would be to the sinner a dead book. But in the hands of the Spirit of God, the Bible has always again and again become the unique instrument that shapes the identity of God's people and transforms their lives. That's another reason why we still have this book, because it does things to people It transforms people, even the fact of the scriptures that have come to be the Bible, 
is because they have been transformative in the community of believers and precious to them because of that. Because God chose it to be this unique instrument and witness, it has always been since its inception a unique authority to which Christians turn for guidance and correction and by which they measure all truth claims about God and salvation. The Bible is the book of the church. It's constitution both in the sense that it forms its supreme norm for faith and life and in the sense that it constitutes the church's identity. The church of Jesus Christ lives from and according to the Bible without treating it as a dead rule book or a mere book of information. The Bible is not like a phone book or a science textbook. It is a witness to God and channel of God's transforming presence. It is a living book. It is a living book. So then I might ask the question, why then, if it's a living book, is often so difficult and so confusing when we open it and we read it? If it's a living book, why does it often seem to be so lifeless? You ever, you've done that, right? With grand enthusiasm, the year begins and you open your Bible to do the Bible in a year. And very quickly, I mean, you're tired. You haven't had your coffee yet. I don't know. Try to prioritize Jesus in the morning and you, you know, before coffee. It's a bad idea. Just have your coffee, you know, then read your Bible. And, and you just kind of get bogged down. I don't know what this means. I think there's some reasons, and I'm going to share some of them that I think are true. The first one, it is challenging. It is challenging. And not only that, it has been misused. Some people have a really bad reaction to the Bible because all it's been for them is a stick that people have repeatedly smacked them over the head with. Well, the Bible says this. And the Bible says that. So the first thing, it's challenging. It's true. Once again, Peter said, our beloved brother Paul. I love that Peter refers to Paul in one of his letters. Remember, these are letters that people are writing to their friends. And then God brings these together to be a word to us. But our beloved brother Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. Speaking of this as he does in all his letters, there are some things in them hard to understand. No, no kidding, Paul. Which, but which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. It's not simple. I don't want it to be simple. You know, I've discovered this amazing concept of Jesus' life that he said really complicated things. And the question was, couldn't you have been clearer, Jesus? But the pattern that you see is he says something that is a bit opaque and a bit difficult. And some people come and say, what did you mean by that? And then he shares more with them. There's this drawing into curiosity. And I think that's what scripture can be like. But in our culture, we don't like that. Jesus says, seek and you'll find. Ask and you receive. Knock and the door will be open to you. But we want it now. We want it our way. We want it now. We are enculturated to believe that it should be instant. The dummy's guide to the Bible, right? Just tell me the stuff so I can get on with the rest of my life. But it draws us into curiosity and wonder. The second thing, as I said, it's been misused. Scripture is so powerful. You know, I went through the Northern Ireland Troubles when I was a kid when people were getting, you know, murdered. And it was all about Protestant Catholic and it was cloaked in religious piety, but it was not, it was political. And, but the Bible was a powerful tool to get people to do wicked things. It, the Bible supported so many things. Slavery was, what well, it says here in the Bible, 
patriarchy, racism, sectarianism, war, extreme nationalism, justification to hate or reject other people has been found in the Bible and it puts some of us off. I don't even open that stupid book. It's evil. It's damaging. Second thing, so first thing, it is challenging, so good news, you're not alone. It's difficult, right? Second thing is this, unfamiliarity. We never read it. Oh, the Bible's hard. When last time you opened it? Um, I don't remember. I was thinking about this. It's like healthy food, you know? I'm actually on a bit of a health kick right now. Can you tell? <laughs> um, but we're doing a couple of things. One thing was doing the 16-8 fasting thing, which is complicated, but, um, and eating healthier food. It tastes awful. <laughs> I want non-healthy food. But the Bible's really like that. The first time you kind of have a little diet of that, even though it's good for you, it doesn't necessarily taste great. You have to develop an appetite for this. It's good for you. Believe me, it's good for you. Just try a little chunk. Have an adventure bite, as my aunt says to her daughter. An adventure bite. But, so it starts off tasting like sawdust, right? But over time, you're desire, your fixation on sweet and salty and fatty and all that stuff will start to fall away. You'll feel better and you'll start to benefit. So unfamiliarity, the same thing, we're doing Tai Chi as well. Anyone else do Tai Chi? It's all good, it's all about body movement, it's cool, and it's helping me to slow down and maybe not fall off the platform so often. But these movements are hard at first, and we've done like four or five weeks, and just last Friday was the first time I thought, I can kind of do some of this. I gotta learn. So unfamiliarity is one. The, the next thing is familiarity. Oh, I know the Bible. You know how many people I've met who are like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you're in a Bible study and they're just always the first to tell you what it means. I'm like, hey, slow down, buddy. This is an ancient document that got at the heart of it and you think you just got it all figured out. Maybe you should go back to remedial stuff and just start with, let's just read John 3.16. That could take a lifetime to dig into the depths of that. Familiarity. The next one is unbelief. And this is important. We approach the Bible sometimes with, prove me, prove yourself, show me. We judge the Bible. We stand above the Bible expecting to receive something from this word that is God's word. And I, a mere human, I have my massive intellect. I stand in judgment and wonder why it doesn't really do much with me. Someone once said this, that minds are like parachutes. They only function when open. Many of us come to the Bible with closed-mindedness, expecting to find what we expected to find, and finding it, rejecting it, pushing it aside. Someone else wrote, who's not a believer actually, but very, very amazing, but to learn a belief without belief is to sing a song without a tune. To learn a belief without belief, it's like standing aside from this story and saying, well, I'm gonna critique it from here, is like singing a song without a tune. A yielding, an obedience, a willingness to accept these notes as the right ones, this pattern is the true pattern. It's the essential gesture of performance, translation, and understanding. You gotta dive in. And you don't have to. That's the great thing. You don't have to. You can ignore, ignore it. Or you can go, okay, on the balance, I think this is something I want to explore and I'm gonna open my mind and I'm gonna, I'm gonna dig in. And the last one is just discouragement. You know, it's true. We try, especially the whole ritual of the law-abiding Bible in a year, and then you feel guilty. That's not what it's about. You know, just get discouraged, go like, I'm not like those people that can do this. Can I tell you something? Most people aren't doing this. You know, 
Maybe people act as if they're all like doing all these wonderful things all the time, but I tell you, many people, the majority of people are probably not doing this and are just as confused as you are. You don't need to be discouraged. So I've got this illustration that I thought was really helpful by another long-dead German theologian. His name is uh, Emil Brunner. And you guys know I love vinyl records. So does this guy over here. Which I've got to come and see your records, man. It's like... Um, and so this really jived with me pretty well. Uh, but he had this uh, illustration about the Bible and, and through all of the difficulties and the, and the history and the culture difference and the languages and everything, his illustration is based on the advertisement for the, for the uh, company RCA, I think, who did his master's voice. Have you seen this, you guys? Some of you were like, this is how you played your records when you were like in your teens, right? So... And the concept is simply, that, so the concept is that the master's voice, the dog's master's voice has been inscribed onto this disc, and the dog hears it. That technology is terrible, by the way. My father-in-law has one of these records, and it sounds awful, but it's all they had then. It's scratchy, it's muffled, it goes, oh, if it winds down, it's, but the dog recognizes the master's voice. That is scripture. That is the goal. Through all of the things, the promise is that you will recognize your master's voice in this word that's been given to us. You will hear his voice. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. My sheep hear my voice. And it's worth, it's worth it. So we have a lot of tools we don't have time to go through. Here are some good ways to approach the Bible. But I think before the tools comes attitude. So I've got five things I think are helpful in approaching Scripture. And the first four of them are simply about our attitude as we do so. And then the last one is about the context for it. The first one is a humble attitude. A humble attitude. These things are too lofty for me to know. I come with an open mind. If this is the word of God, yeah, I shouldn't expect to have some mastery of it, I, I, but I'm gonna come and I'm gonna read. The second thing is a prayerful, dependent attitude. I more and more and more realize God hears and answers prayer. And it is true, not always in the way we want, but he never fails to respond. Because actually, we are not the initiators of this. He is the initiator it's not all about us. He will respond. He does love us. And we've seen that that love is fierce. And that love, you reach out, you say, God, show me. And there's a really wonderful prayer which it was, um, that says, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. And law just means word or uh, scripture. But I used to pray that all the time when I was first a Christian. Like, I'd read it from Psalm 119. You know, praying scripture back to God, that's pretty cool. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law, in your word. And the next thing is also an expectant attitude. Expect to encounter God in his word. And then a grateful attitude. I think we're just so spoiled. You know how many Bibles I have in my office? Many. And, and people died for this thing. That alone is also, you know, like, I mean, literally gave their lives. If you're caught in possession, it is a fierce and incendiary document in this world. There's countries where if you're found with this thing, because it threatens empires, it threatens governments, it threatens 
those who exploit people. It says, Jesus is Lord, and you're not. And it's dangerous. So gratitude, the last thing, is a community with whom to interact. The Bible was written to communities. It is not this solitary pursuit. And the best way to read the Bible is with other people, in a community. That's the body of Christ. You too have the Spirit of God. You're not reading someone else's mail. This is our privilege and our possession, and we should best to do it together. We can do it together. You know how many things have started really badly because one person decided they knew how to interpret the Bible, didn't need anyone else, ended up forming some cult where everyone went off the deep end? We need the body to read and interpret Scripture. Final thing. I know I've gone a little long today, but this is only part one. Next week will be 10 minutes. Because <laughs> it's only about the, New Te- the Old Testament, and that's easy. So last thing is, how might we know if we have approached the Bible as Scripture? How might we know that my form of connection with the Bible, or even evaluating what we see in the culture when politicians spout Bible verses or when Christians online spout Bible verses, how can we maybe evaluate whether they're engaging with this in this humble, expectant, prayerful, grateful community attitude? Well, the Bible will tell us. The first thing is Jesus elevated and worshipped or people elevated and worshipped. Is Jesus elevated and worshipped? Jesus himself was meeting with these disciples after he rose and said, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus said, this is all pointing to this, guys. Um, the second thing is, are people set free from their guilt and shame? Or are they given more guilt and shame and isolation? Or are they set free? Are they initiated into a deeper relationship and purpose for and within God's kingdom on earth? Are they invited into community in a meaningful way as themselves, human beings with all their flaws? Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And there's hard truths and there's really wonderful, beautiful truths. What is the fruit of the interaction? What fruit is coming out of someone's interaction with scripture? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then the last thing is two things. Does it serve as a universal invitation to all people of all tribes and tongues and nations or is it just one particular group that we're inviting in through this interaction with the Word? Does it promote this unity among and the diversity of God's people? Does it promote that? Does it, does it value that? Does it say that's wonderful that we're very different from each other and that our head is Christ and we are a diverse body, functioning, strong? Colossians 3, that here there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. All of these diverse people come, not because they're suddenly gonna all believe the same about all the things that they can believe in, but because they have found the love of God and they're sharing it with one another. What I was going to do next was lead us all through a Bible study, but I figured we wouldn't have enough time, and I was right. <clears throat> but the last thing is this. Outside in that corridor, <clears throat> there's a little shelf, and I, I'm interested in books, so there's some various Bibles. There's a Samoan Bible, there's a Scots language one, there's a Gallic one, there's a Hebrew text, so you can see what Hebrew looks like, there's a Greek one, there's a, one from like pre-1700s uh, like kind of thing, where all the S's look like F's. Check that out. 
But there's one other Bible out there, and it's my Bible from when I was a child, my first ever Bible. And it has a little inscription for my mom. It has a little card where I signed, really badly signed my name to say that I wanted to follow Jesus. Um, and I came to faith when I was like 13 or so, and it was magical, it was wonderful, it was profound, it was powerful. I was excited. And I had that Bible for a while, there's all kinds of things underlined in there, like when God convicted me of something, I was kind of like, ooh, underline that, or when I was encouraged. I was so excited, I had my little highlighters and my pen, and it was so good. Well then the church that I was in when I was like 14 or so, the, the adults, the responsible ones, had a, an argument in the church, and that church split because they could not reconcile, and I was cast out. Okay, and I didn't go to church for a long, long time. And since that time, there has been many Bibles in my life, and there's been many, many challenges, and people have let me down. And sometimes, I, years of not reading the Bible, not cracking open a Bible, but the one constant is the one to whom the Scripture points, who never, ever left me. He never, ever left me. The Word of God, to whom the Scripture points, has promised he will never leave us or forsake us. It's not about reading the Bible. It's about a hunger that we have as human beings to know that we're okay, that we are not alone, and to find a new community and a new way of being and understanding ourselves. And this is what scripture points to. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the God who loves us enough to give us revelation. And we do it together over our whole lives. We open the Bible and go, why I never saw that before. I never understood that before, but that hits me right now in my life. I'm gonna invite Ben to come up and uh, we're gonna go into communion now, which is... uh, as we say, a chance to respond, to put feet to what maybe our hearts are doing. And it's about an invitation to a table. And it's not based on your current perfection <laughs> or your desire that you're gonna be perfect. It's based on a couple of things. It's based on admitting that we are, we are human beings in need of grace and that in some way we have encountered enough of this story being moved towards some even small confession to say, I think you are the way, and I think I need you. I need you. I've, I, I offer my life to you because it's always been yours. And if that describes you, if you're someone who is a Christ follower or you're someone who would just want to pick up this path, this road, not knowing what it's going to look like, he's in charge of it, your transformation then. In your own time, come forward here or to the back and take a little piece of bread and a little cup. This is what scripture says. The apostle Paul said, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes.
Let's take some time for this. And let's uh, recognize that everyone's kind of in a different place this morning. So it's not a time to catch up on news or, you know, it's a, t- it's a time just to together, kind of alone together, right? We're aware of our brothers and sisters, but everyone's going to have their kind of moment right now. So take your time um, and let's get the bread in the cup and then we'll hold them and take them together shortly. If anyone needs served where they are, you can raise your hand and we will bring you the elements. You good? Okay. You're good. I can get Once again, this is a mystery that we take earthly substances, things that basic nutritious foods of the earth grown in the ground because of the sun and the rain makes bread, um, but it is given significance in, in how we, our attitude, our hearts, how we come to this. We come humbly we come prayerfully, we come expectantly, we come gratefully, and we do it in community. This is what we're called to. Um, and we leave all of the work to God and we simply come as we are. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. Thank you, Lord, that you've shown that through this creation through the way we see that we are made, that we're going to explore that this summer, and we just want, we want to know you, Lord, so we pray that each one of us in our own unique way would feel loved today, both by you and by one another. And we recognize that it is in this, taking this prayer that we recognize that it was you, Lord, that gave us this life. And we take this cup and recognize that our sins are forgiven. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we know we'll go out into this day and we will misspeak and we will not have this perfect track record of, of living. But, but we are confident, Lord, that you, you have covered our sins. And not only that, but you give us the power to grow and to change, to live more in in community and in sync with your spirit. We take this cup. Amen.